Hello everyone. My name is Susan Lamarca and I'm the Executive Officer of SLAV. Welcome to SLAV's third reading forum for 2021 on the topic of social media. I'd like to begin the event by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I am today, the Wurundjeri Willam people, one of the five tribes of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land. I recognise that the attendees at this event are spread across Australia, and I know you will join me in acknowledging the traditional owners of wherever you happen to be. I would also like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and specifically acknowledge the important role of story in the history and the lives of the traditional owners of this land. Welcome. Okay, we have a very full and exciting program of speakers. So I would ask that you keep your microphones muted, uh, but feel free to ask questions in the chat and we will address them either during or at the end of each uh, speaker session. We'll play that one a little bit by year and see how we go. We have a very full program though, so we won't be able to take too many questions. We are recording this forum and we'll make a link available to all participants. We will also be creating an audio version for Slavis podcast channel. So this will go out in a range of other ways that will make it available to lots of different people. Our podcast channel is listened, by, listened to by people from all around the world. We have created a Padlet uh, for this session and encourage all participants to add items to this space. And I'll put the address in the chat uh, a little bit later on, unless Ty is there, she might be able to do that for me. Um, it could be, you could be adding articles worth reading on the topic, suggestions of books or websites, or social media participants you feel uh, are worth following. This reading forum was, will engage with the topic of social media. How can we use it effectively to inform, engage and encourage students? How is social media being used by allied professions? And how is it appearing in books for our young people? Okay, our first guest this afternoon is Adrian Beck. Adrian is going to share with us how he uses social media to promote his work and engage with young readers and the wider literary community. Adrian will be well known to many of you as the author of funny action-packed stories for kids and as an excellent presenter, very busy in schools. His debut picture book was Stop the Dad Jokes and he is the author of many junior fiction titles including the Derek Duell super cool series, the Champion Charlie's series and Alien Zoo. He's the co-author of the Little Legends series with Nicole Hayes, plus the Kick It to Nick series with AFL Hall of Famer Shane Crawford. In 2021, Adrian is a proud ambassador for the Australia Reads campaign and is passionate about fostering a love of reading amongst the next generation. And I'm fascinated to hear what he's going to share with us this afternoon. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Susan. I'm fascinated too because I'm not exactly Mark Zuckerberg, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and explain how I use uh, social media. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm no media baron along those lines. But I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to see you all. Thanks for coming along. Um, social media is a huge topic, so I thought I'd narrow it down to how I use it and what's really worked, how I portrayed in my books, as Susan said, and some ideas for how you could use it too, perhaps. Well, we could start with how authors use it. And most authors I know have social media accounts and those that uh, don't are so successful that they don't actually need the social media accounts. But those that are even more successful than that, they have people to run their social media accounts. 
But all these wonderful people here, all these wonderful authors uh, here, all use social media very, very well. Uh, Jane Godwin is excellent at uh, taking photos of the uh, bushwalks that she goes on. So if you want to know some great uh, lockdown bushwalks, if you ever need those, just follow Jane Godwin for that. They're excellent. Uh, but uh, we all pretty much have a uh, social media presence. And within the writing community, there's a bit of talk about your author platform. And that basically just means, you know, your presence online. Some experts suggest that you start building your platform before you even submit a manuscript to a publisher for the very first time. And that way you have an audience ready to go once your book comes out. The benefits to authors, and there may be some crossovers to the teacher librarians, are this, as far as I can tell. Number one, you build your brand as an author. But authors who constantly post promotion for their book do get a little bit tiresome. That's why it's great to see all the bushwalking photos that, that Jane posts. It's good to think of your presence online as a polite conversation. For example, it's not all about you. So to combat this, find one other thing that helps define your brand. That's what I kind of like to think of. Uh, and so my stuff, I, I post, because I'm a dad, I post a lot about stuff my girls get up to and uh, being a dad and silly things that they do. Um, because when I was trying to come up with a brand early on, I said to my wife, um, should I dye my hair blue or should I, what, what should I do? And she said, you're a dad, <laughs> you're 40 and you've got a dad bod, just lean into that. And so she was very, very clever and that's what I did. So that's what I talk about online most of the time, including my books. Uh, plus it's good to retweet and celebrate the community's achievements. Um, because that's what I mean by polite conversation. You want to be uh, you want to be a champion of other people and the other things that are going on. It's not all about you. Uh, number two, you can find one or more of the social media platforms that you actually enjoy and make that more of your, I'd say maybe more of your focus. Uh, it's a little off topic, but I've actually made some good friends over Twitter. Uh, it's uh, it's not really like Tinder, but it's it's uh, it's. It's similar. No, not at all. But you can make some good friends and uh, and carry over into IRL, which the kids all say, and I understand that means in real life. Write that down. You might want to be funky like me. And most people, they will find the platform that they prefer over others. I'm actually on uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, but I think I probably most enjoy Instagram because it's it's more visual. We'll get to that in a sec. And number three, you can create and engage a community of followers uh, and help boost literary initiatives and events. And of course, if you have a community behind you, in theory, as an author, you can number four, get more readers. But how I use it is probably slightly, slightly different. And it depends on the different platform um, that, that you're going out on. The PR departments at publishers have taken me through this a few times. And occasionally these sort of nuggets of information actually stick. So I'm going to just quickly share my screen with you. Uh, there we go. So basically this is how I see it. And as I said, I'm not Zuckerberg, but this is kind of how I see it. So I think TikTok's more for your kids and teens. I, go, I don't go anywhere near TikTok. No one needs me on TikTok. Um, I can imagine me and Michael Wagner doing a dance together on TikTok and I don't think it would get many likes. Uh, then there's Twitter, and I think that's, in, as far as I'm concerned, I think the industry, like it might be teachers, might be librarians, might be uh, publishers, might be um, authors, anyone who's engaged in the publishing industry, I think they talk about publishing issues on, on Twitter, and it can be, obviously, it can be political, and a lot of people jump out of it because it gets so political, but uh, I would say that's where all the industry discussions happen. 
Insta, that's your visual thinkers and your creatives, I think. Uh, so if I'm trying to uh, put something out on Insta, I'll try and make, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much, it's all about the photo and how good the photo looks. And, um, you know, if people read the caption, that's a bit of a bonus. My captions are excellent though. So I would suggest starting with my captions and then if you have time, go back to the photo. It's not really how it normally works, of course. And Facebook is for parents and teachers uh, because Facebook, is, that's that's pretty much me there. Uh, that's Facebook. Um, we're not quite as cool as TikTok. But we're still in it, you know, we're still part of it somewhat. So um, if you when you're thinking about what you're posting and where I try and keep these sorts of things uh, as a consideration. Um, and then I actually just just did a, just today to work this out. I just did a little um, a look at my Facebook and Instagram accounts and who I am, who my followers are. And I thought this was kind of interesting. And I know I can trust you all with this information. This is top secret information, but I can trust you. Uh, on Facebook, 90% uh, of my followers are women, 35 to 44. Now, that doesn't surprise me, of course. Uh, and Instagram, uh, women, 76% uh, uh, 36 35 to 44. So you can always dip into your analytics. These are on all our accounts, and we just often don't even bother to look at them, but uh, they'll tell you who's following you. So you can sort of tailor some of your um, messages based on the audience that you know are watching. And so... Um, uh, that's what I try to do sometimes. It's hard to obviously pinpoint. Um, and I thought I might also talk to you through uh, some success stories that I've had on um, social media. So uh, one of them would be the Kidlet Club. So myself and Sally Rippon, this was like three years ago, I would say, um, we did a, uh, a what we called a vodcast, which was before people were doing a lot of videos online, which are, you know, there's a lot more these days for obvious reasons. But this was before the bad times. We um, we did our podcast as a video, and uh, we got a lot of engagement from that. We got a lot of we got a lot of feedback, and we got a lot of people um, getting involved. And it sort of culminated in uh, for Love Your Bookshop Day. We did a big uh, uh, cross around to all these different uh, bookshops right around the country last year. Um, and yeah, it was it was just. Not only was it great engagement, it was, it was just such a feel good thing to do. And we wouldn't have done that if we hadn't have been on Facebook as a platform and using it uh, to talk about the industry, to talk about bookshops, to talk about reading and all that sort of thing. So that's one of the, um, that's one of the success stories there. And another success story, if I can just, it's all about me apparently, uh, is the Stop the Dad Jokes. And that happened, that book, which uh, Susan mentioned is my first picture book. And that happened because I was contacted on social media uh, and because I was talking about my brand before, uh, the person that contacted me said, I know you're a dad and you've got excellent humour. I'm not sure she used the word excellent, but she said, you've got humour. Um, would you ever consider writing a dad jokes book? And I said, absolutely. And um, and from that point on, uh, the rest is, as they say, is history. So I uh, there's some of, so some of the good things that can happen when you're actually connected with people on, on uh, social media. Okay, but I wanted to give you some uh, some ideas about what perhaps uh, librarians and teachers and all that sort of thing could use social media for. Uh, and I think there's heaps of different things and you could you could almost take some uh, influence from some of the things that I've been lucky enough to do. And that is live video is easy to do, is easy to do these days on, um, on uh, Facebook and Instagram and less so on Twitter, but it's easy to do. I've actually been lucky enough to be doing some Better Reading Kids interviews uh, in the last year or so. And um, it's it's just a matter of hitting that button. So if you, uh, the, when authors and illustrators are on the publicity trail, 
Uh, a lot of them will be happy to uh, do a, a quick video chat with you about anything you like. Even you know, it might be for a uh, a private Facebook group that just is just connected to the school, or the reading group connected to the school, or it could be any sort of Facebook group. Really, I'm sure plenty of authors, particularly when they're trying to get the, spread the word out about their book, they would be happy to do a a little chat, a live video chat. Um, and the same goes for uh, a Q and A on Twitter as well. So um, you could almost you could almost have uh, an author uh, a month or whatever and have them as their the feature author and you know get all your network to ask them questions uh, on a one a particular night at a particular time and uh, and they'll get um, get involved that way and of course the tricky part with all of these things is that you want to reach the kids ultimately so a lot of social media is all about uh, the adults in fact i don't i barely even mention social media in my books the one time i did was all about going viral on youtube and it was basically about um about the, the problems about trying to go viral and you know that how success online can be fleeting um so what i try to do is i try to uh engage the kids via the gatekeepers that are very excited about reading and books and uh if i can do that via uh, teachers or parents um i think that's a win the one time i've used social media and it's directly uh got to kids is when i interviewed andy griffiths and we had a whole bunch of schools uh, that got involved uh, and got onto the Facebook site and all the kids were uh, had uh, teachers that were sending in questions for Andy. Obviously, you don't always get Andy Griffiths um, and so that may not always work and a lot of schools have rules around what platforms they can show in the classrooms. But that was uh, a time where we were able to bypass the gatekeepers and we were able to go talk directly to kids. Um, some other ideas just before I finish up, because I know you've got a full lineup uh, of excellent people to hear from this afternoon, and that might be to, uh, like I said, a podcast. So the kids could interview some of their some of their favourite authors via these uh, these live video. You could do a private live video, so it doesn't go out to the public, but you could still uh, keep the audio, turn it into a podcast. Um, and the other thing is, if you've got your own private school uh, Facebook, for example, share the author updates. Uh, build the excitement about new books that are coming out. Just remember to make it all uh, aimed at the parents and then the, the parents will hopefully pass that on. Even a, even a blog reviewing some of the great books that have just come out. And I've seen some blogs where teachers, great teachers will like Megan Daly, Michelle Nye, Rebecca Toltz, Kim Yeomans, they'll, um, they'll write a review and they'll put a little post in their Facebook group about the reviews that's up and then the parents will show the review to the kids and then that way the kids will be engaged. So. It's all about uh, directing the information to the right people and knowing who you're talking to at the right time. But hopefully there's a few ideas in there that might be helpful. Thanks, Susan. Oh, also, I should say, if you want to follow me online, why wouldn't you? Adrian Beck Books on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And it's helpful uh, if you're creating an online presence to have the same name across different platforms and people can find you easy. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Uh, that that was really great. I mean, so many great ideas and really insightful. Um, you've approached it very thoughtfully. Thank you. I don't think we have any questions in the chat, but if anyone does have a question for Adrian while he's still around, perhaps you can pop it in the chat now. Um, I'm sure he'll answer you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank We're going you. to charge ahead. Wonderful. Our next speaker is Helen. Helen, are you here? Helen? Sorry, I was muted. I'm here. 
I'm so used to be being on mute all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Thank you very much, Helen. Wonderful. All right, let's introduce Helen. Helen Farch is a library technician at Forest Hill College. And Helen's going to share with us a little bit about how she uses Instagram to promote reading and increase the visibility of the school library within the school community. I'm so glad you're here, Helen. Welcome and over to you. All right, well, thank you. So um, yes, I'll just uh, share my screen as well. Just, um, sorry, while I just get it up. Okay, so hopefully that's visible to everybody. Is that there, Susan? Okay, so hi everyone. Um, as Susan said, my name is Helen Farch and I work as a library technician at Forest Hill College in Burwood East. Uh, firstly, I would like to acknowledge that I am presenting to you on the traditional lands of the Boonwarren and Wurundjeri people and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. So, I'm presenting to you about why I use Instagram in my school library at Forest Hill College. So firstly, uh, my school is Forest Hill College. As I said, a bit about my school. We're a government co-educational school, uh, secondary school, and um, we have about 650 students. And that's just a quick photo of my library, so you get a bit of an idea. So why use social media? Um, over the past few years, I have been investigating, trying different ways to engage with our school community and to ensure the school library does maintain a presence in the school and to work on developing the uh, school-wide reading culture. So social media is about building community and about sharing conversations and connections and building relationships. And this is also an important function of the school library. To be successful, we do need to build a community with the students, the staff and the wider school community. The decision to use social media is also about meeting our community where they're at. Social media is the prevalent form of communication and news delivery for many people these days. And it's engaging. Um, social media presents information in fun and entertaining ways with photos, videos and short, sharp messages. So I made my first tentative post in October 20, on October 21st, 2019, and it has been a steep but fun and rewarding learning curve from there. Before deciding on Instagram as the social media platform I wanted to try, I did read widely about using social media for promotion of libraries and school libraries in particular. The main social media platforms are Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat. So I did try Snapchat first, but didn't really build up much of a following. Um, Facebook is seen by the teens as being for old people. Um, I'm not cool enough for TikTok. And to be honest, I've never quite got the hang of uh, Twitter. I do like that Instagram is a visually appealing form of social media, um, and it allows me to promote both books and things happening in the library in a fun, engaging way. And as I said, it does appeal across different age groups. So it's one social media platform that I can use that would appeal both to our students and to the adults in our community. So what do I do? Well, I take lots of photos and videos of just about anything to do with the library. 
constantly. Um, so the students are now very used to me coming up and asking if I can take their photo to be featured on this, the library's Instagram account. To build a community, it is important to post regularly. So I post at least twice a day during school holidays and once a day on weekends and um, on school holidays, weekends and school holidays. So sorry, twice a day during school days. So, and as well as posting, I also make a point to engage with other accounts um, that are on there. So that includes reposting uh, their posts, commenting and having conversations with other accounts. So I post short book reviews about books I've read and uh, posts to make reading recommendation based on books in our collection. So I do post lots of photos of books in our collection to promote it. Promote photos of our students being engaged in library activities. Um, I do post photos of books on a theme to promote calendar events such as NAIDOC week, Ida Hobbit day. And basically I post just general photos, quotes, memes, basically anything that promotes reading, school libraries and books. And I do find there's always photo challenges out there like book photo challenges on Instagram. So I find taking photos for photo challenges is also a fun way to promote books that we have in our collection. Then I just wanted to show a few examples of um, what the sort of photos that I take and post. So behind the scenes photos are always popular. So this is just a photo of old VHS videos that we were reading from the collection and um, I was surprised at how popular that post was. Take photos of things that happen in the library. So this is a photo of a possum that had managed to get into the library uh, and took up residence in um, the circulation desk for a few days. We didn't actually know he was there till it got quiet one afternoon and he poked his head out there and um, made his presence known. We have two well-being dogs in the school. So whenever one of them visits us in the library, I take lots of photos. So this is Echo and he was in the library to celebrate Ida Hobbit Day earlier in the year. I take posts to highlight particular books in our collection. So this is a photo I posted to um, highlight the manga versions of some classic Jane Austen books that we have. I take photos of students with books. So this is one of our year seven students who was very happy with this new addition to our collection. I take photos of things happening around the school. So this is our year 11 VCL class who are working on a project to update our library courtyard. This is a photo I posted of um, students coming into the library and painting kindness rocks, which was an activity we ran for a week. And then we used those rocks to create a kindness garden um, in our library courtyard. I always post photos of new books that we're adding to the collection. Last year, we ran an FHC Reads campaign that coincided with the Australia Reads campaign. So as part of that, I took photos of staff reading. And so this is one of our principal who was reading one of his childhood favorites, which was Biggles. We have a library mascot called Atlas. So I often take Atlas and some books around the school and take photos. So this is Atlas reading um, The Undead Girl Gang with his friend in science. 
We've also been making lots of changes to the layout of our library this year. So I always post photos of the library and the changes we've made just to keep everyone in the community up to date. I like to highlight books in our collection that I think need a bit more love, like this one. Um, so if you haven't read this one, I recommend it. Uh, I post photos of our library catalogue just to highlight features of the catalogue. And I like to post uh, silly photos. So this is a screenshot of a video I took with uh, the assistance of some of our Year 12 students uh, for um, Shark Week recently with uh, running away from a shark that happened to be having a bit of a swim in our library. So what are the benefits? Um, this is something I actually absolutely love doing and I do find it's a lot of fun. I would like to say that it has resulted in students coming into the library wanting to borrow the latest books that I featured on Instagram, but that's still something I'm working on achieving. Um, but the students are aware that we have a library Instagram and they're more than happy to feature in it, which I guess is a start to getting them to follow it. From a library perspective, I do feel that it has raised our profile in the school community. Um, the leadership are aware that we have it and they're always um, pleased to hear about what's been happening. I think I might have more followers than the school does, so I always like to let them know about that. Um, we definitely have parents who follow the library and do use Instagram as a way to communicate with us through direct messaging. From a personal perspective, I've really enjoyed connecting with other school libraries, authors, publishers, and just general book lovers from Australia and around the world. I get lots of ideas of things I want to do in my school library from uh, what other school libraries are doing. And uh, I learn about books that I'd like to feature now that possibly purchase for our collection. And um, I do like sharing what we've been doing in our library. I think it's been quite a uh, good professional um, networking tool. Um, has resulted in people like Susan approaching me to make presentations, which I haven't done before. So, um, yeah. And it's also a way to connect with authors and publishers, which has also been fun. So what have I learnt? Um, I do think it's worth documenting a social media policy, which I have to admit is something I haven't done yet. But um, I do run this on my own. But yeah, if, particularly if you are thinking of running an Instagram account and um, there's going to be more than one person um, responsible for it, then a policy would be beneficial. I'd say don't caught up, get caught up in the numbers and how many followers or likes you get because they go up and down all the time. And I think that way lies madness sometimes. Don't follow back everyone who follows you. I learned that the hard way. Um, if you follow everyone back, your Instagram feed will just be full of posts that don't particularly add value to you and um, can just take up your time trying to get through them all. And have fun. Um, it does take time and work to maintain a social media account like this. Um, but if you have fun, I do think that comes across in your posts and makes it a lot more engaging. So for more information, um, I have put some information on the Padlet that Susan was talking about. So I have put some links to um, 
some articles about using social media and Instagram in particular to promote your school library. And I have included a list of some of the school library Instagram accounts that I follow from around Australia and the world. And if I've missed you out, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to add to that list. Um, and also following publishers, authors and other organisations that focus on school libraries is also a great way to keep informed. So I've included a list of some of those accounts that are worth checking out as well. And finally, thank you um, for listening and to Susan for inviting me to speak. And I'd be more than happy to speak to anyone further, ask answer questions via email, DM me on Instagram, or um, yeah, I'm happy to speak to anyone about that at length. <laughs> so now I've just got to work out how to shop, stop sharing my screen, sorry. Thank you, Thank Helen. You. There's just a little button that should say stop if you hover up to the top. Now there are a couple of, excellent, there are a couple of questions in the chat, Helen. Um, I don't know whether you can see that, but I can certainly read them to you. There's a, quite a few over the idea of did you get permission from leadership? You know, did you actually have to go through a process to get permission from your school? Um, so maybe we can start with that. Did you have to? What did you do? Um, is it awful that I decided <laughs> to ask for forgiveness, not permission? Um, <laughs> the school has like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I started off by um, submitting things to be included on those. But um, yeah, I, I might submit something and say, could we put this on um, Instagram? And then two weeks later, it might appear. So the Insta part of it wasn't very valid. Um, so in the end, I just decided to start one, but then I certainly informed them that I was doing it and they didn't have a problem, so. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting one. Not every school is going to be the same as that, particularly probably some of the private schools that have marketing departments and a lot more formal procedures than that. Yes, I think you make a very good point there. I suppose we'd probably suggest to those of us that are here that it might be wise to ask in advance, yeah? Um, but you've done a really fantastic job anyway. I think I think asking for forgiveness is a good plan. Uh, now, there was another couple of questions. Early on, someone asked, have you had any negative interaction um, with students or others on Instagram? Has it all been positive? Um, I think I had had one negative comment from someone who doesn't follow me, who I don't know about a post I posted for Ida Hobbit Day. So of us rate of the school raising a, a pride flag for Ida Hobbit Day. So I think that's one post in the many, many posts and comments that I've had. So no, uh, overwhelmingly positive. That's excellent. And uh, someone's asked, do you use a business or a personal account? Uh, I use a creator account. Okay, thank you. And that gives you access to a lot more of the music if you're doing reels and so forth. and it also lets me use Facebook Creator Studio to schedule um, posts, and that's free because there's lots of there's lots of apps out there that'll let you schedule posts and everything, but they cost money, which um, I don't have in my library budget to do. So, yes, but by having a Creator account, I can use the Facebook Creator Studio. Well, that's an excellent tip. Thank you. And someone has asked, are your followers mainly parents, publishers or other librarians? Can you put a idea on it? Do you know? Yeah, I'd say a lot of other librarians 
and um, there are some parents. I'm not. I would say, yeah, unfortunately, students is not the majority. Um, I've heard lots of people suggest you bribe students to follow, but um, <laughs> I'm not allowed to give out food. To this <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what other bribe would work. <laughs> so I'd say like mo a lot of other uh, school libraries and just general bookstagram accounts would be the majority of my followers. Thank you. Look, it sounds to me like you're, you're getting an enormous amount out of it. And I think there's a yep. flow on effect of that to your students and to your school community. You're doing a fantastic job. Now, I'm, we're going to push on. I, I really appreciate you being here today. You've um, done a wonderful presentation. Please do take a moment to go and have a look in the chat because everyone's saying lovely things no, and, being, and being very complimentary. So, and, so we'll push on with the rest of the program. Thank you, Helen. Just All wonderful. Right. Thanks, Susan. Ta. Okay, it's my wonderful pleasure now to welcome Remy Lay. I hope Remy is here. I know Ty is here because Ty is going to be interviewing Remy. And, and Remy, do we have you here? Yes, I'm here. Oh, excellent. Wonderful. Great to see you. Thank you. So we'll introduce you. Remy, uh, Remy Lay is here joining us this afternoon. Remy studied fine arts with a major in painting and drawing. She was born in Indonesia, grew up in Singapore and currently lives in Brisbane. Remy is the author of the critically acclaimed Pie in the Sky and Fly on the Wall. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, wonderful illustrations. Thank you. And is here this afternoon to speak with us about her book, Porcasso. Rex, <laughs> Remy will be in conversation this afternoon with Ty Katanar. Ty is our wonderful SLAV social media coordinator, and many of you will also know her as a bookseller from Readings. Welcome, Ty and Remy. Over to both of you. Thank you, Susan. Welcome, Remy. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we're all very envious of you being up there in, in sunny Brisbane. I hope your weather's better than ours at the moment. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's getting warmer over here. Good. That is wonderful news. Well, congratulations on Picasso. Congratulations on all of your books. I'm a huge fan and I can tell you we have a lot of trouble keeping them on the shelf at Readings Kids. So that's great news for us and hopefully for you too. I did send you forward some questions, so I will start with the first question because I'm really interested to know. You have a degree in fine arts. Is this how you began writing and illustrating books? And was there a reason that you were drawn to write and illustrate books for children? Well, I have, I have to be honest that my degree probably didn't really help me <laughs> in <laughs> in my current job <laughs> um, in writing and illustration, maybe a little bit. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to become an author or illustrator um, until I was actually already in fine arts, because at the time I really couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do something with arts, um, but it just didn't occur to me that like being an author or an illustrator is an actual job <laughs> because I didn't know anyone like that. And I didn't have school visits or ever meet like a real life author or illustrator. So it just, it just never occurred to me. So it was only in college then. I thought I had to think really hard about what I wanted to do for a job. And then so I thought about what I like to do. And and at that time when I was in fine arts, that was the first time I actually got to do to hang out with people 
who like arts. And then when my assignment assignment was to do was to draw, I was thinking my homework is to draw. That's like the best kind of homework ever. And so I thought, okay, this it would be great if I could do this, you know, for like as a job. So so that's that's where it started. That's wonderful. That's such a great story. And you made a really important point there, actually, that I think some of us take for granted, particularly those of us lucky to be in places like Melbourne. Author visits to schools, such an important part of kids knowing that that is a pathway they can take as a career. So thank you for, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's really important. So your, your first two books, um, Pie in the Sky and Fly on the Wall, they're described as graphic novel prose hybrids. Was this a format that you chose accidentally or was that deliberate or? No, that's, that's like a really long story to it. So for all of you who don't know, it looks kind of like this. Um, so uh, paragraphs of text and then um, it also has um, panels like in a comic book. So and you can't you can't read the book without reading the pictures. Um, but I, I really started out wanting to do graphic novels. So I actually wrote this book first as a graphic novel um, because that's what I love and that's what I wanted to do. But but then when I started drawing it, I realized that it didn't really work as a full graphic novel because the main character doesn't speak English. So he doesn't speak a lot in the book. And so a lot of the things that you know about him come from his thoughts. And so if I were to do it in a graphic novel format, um, the book would be filled with, you know, the cloud shaped thought bubbles. And I didn't want that for a middle grade book. Um, so that's so then I rewrote the whole thing as as a prose book. And then I realized I'm really missing the pictures because pictures is just my natural voice. So then I added the pictures back in. It's a long story. That's, that's quite a lengthy process. How long did that take you from sort of the first initial concept to the finished product? Uh, well, I first got the idea maybe in 20. Uh, 16, but then I didn't really do anything about it um, until maybe 2017. That's when I really started working on it. Um, I think maybe less, but it was pretty quick. Um, maybe I want to say eight months, but that was because I had deadlines. I had deadlines. Um, once the book sold, then I had to really do it pretty quick. Yeah. See, there's that fine arts degree coming in handy there, meeting those deadlines. <laughs> How much of your writing would you say reflects your own lived experiences? How much do you draw from your own life to inform what you're writing? I think a lot of it, I borrowed a lot of things from my own childhood. So for example, for this one, um, it's about these two brothers who moved to Australia, but they can't speak English. And so that was from my own experience because I only learned English when I was nine, when I moved from Indonesia to Singapore. So that was very heavily from it. And then for Picasso here, as you can see the dog here, if you'll remember what he looks like, and I'm going to show you next, this, this uh -huh. guy here. <laughs> Come on, say hi. So they look exactly alike. So that of uh, the book Picasso, the dog in it is really inspired by my own, uh, my own dog. Um, so inside Picasso, in Picasso, the dog rolls in poop. And that's actually what my dog does. So <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about Picasso? Where did the inspiration from the story obviously came from your own dog, but there is a social media element to it, isn't there? Yeah, so the social media element in the book is that, um, but I'll start before that. It's kind of related to today's topic is that I actually 
started this book, writing this dog book because of social media, because my not because my editor, we, was, we were trying to come up with like an idea for my third book. And then my editor, he saw my Instagram and he saw that I posted lots of pictures of my dogs <laughs> and um, I made little comics, short comics about my dog. And so he said, hey, maybe you should write a dog book. <laughs> so that's actually where it all started. So social media. Um, but for and then inside the story itself, it's about this girl who kind of pretends to be this dog's owner. So this dog is a really cool dog who goes, uh, who carries a basket and goes shopping on his own. And so when she she follows the dog and then she runs into a group of her classmates, of her schoolmates, and then they they assume that the dog is hers because she's with the dog. And then she doesn't try too hard to tell them that she's not the owner. So then she has to tell more and more lies to kind of get them to keep thinking that the dog is hers. But then this is where social media plays a role because then people take pictures of the dog and then they post it on social media and then he gets more and more famous. So, you know, that's then the chance of her, her lies being found out get bigger and bigger. It's brilliantly done. I think it's probably my favorite yet. It's so, so well done and very thought provoking. So hopefully that helps younger members of our community to think about how they post on social media. Um, how important would you say that social media has been for you as a tool to not just share your work, but to connect with your readers? Um, I think it's really important, um, even though most of the kids wouldn't be on social media, but I connect with lots of uh, book bloggers um, or bookstagrammers, they call it. Um, and so I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm not a lot on Twitter because it, it moves too fast for me. I'm not sure what's going on in Twitter. So I'm on Instagram and, um, and so I've connected with book bloggers as well as other authors and illustrators. Um, and then I also get to know about like events, um, um, like literary festivals, like mostly online that I can then sign up for. Um, so that, that has helped me a lot. And then um, I also mostly on my Instagram, I post uh, process videos. So like um, my sketching, the time-lapse videos of me sketching my comic books and things like that. So lots of process stuff. So I, I would say my most popular posts would be the process stuff. Yeah, which is incredibly helpful for teachers and librarians sharing your books with their students to help engage them. And for those of you um, who are wondering, I've posted links to Remy's social media and her website in the Padlet, so you can access those there. Remy, your books are so photographable. I feel like, you know, they're at one stage it felt like your covers were everywhere and your books have really enjoyed you know global recognition and very well deserved high praise that must feel really surreal for you like how do you process seeing your books featured in articles and on social media by other people oh it's it's awesome it never gets old so so far all of my three books have been on the New York Times uh, review. So when I first saw that I was like, wow. <laughs> then I try not to get too obsessed about it because because then what if okay, what if the next book doesn't get featured on the New York Times? <laughs> I'll be super sad. <laughs> um so I try to celebrate it when it comes in, but then I also kind of try not to get too hung up on it because then you get pretty obsessed um about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a bit like watching the likes, really, isn't it? You can't really watch that yeah. too closely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of glad that um, Instagram took out the likes so that you actually have to go in to look at it instead. It's <laughs> just there. Yeah, I think there's quite a few of us who are happy about that. <laughs> so, are we allowed to ask what you're working on now? Are you allowed to share anything about what you might have in store for us next? Yeah, so I have a series of. Um, young reader graphic novels coming out next year. Um, there are three books in the series, so they're all from Ellen and Anwin. Um, for six to nine-year-olds mainly, um, they're about animals trying to survive in the wild after their environment has been changed um, by humans. And so it's funny because the first one, um, the, f the first two books are will come out simultaneously in April, and so, um, the the U.S. publisher is using a, a book about an about elephants as the first book, and the second book is about a koala trying to survive um, the bushfire. Um, but for um, Australia, um, the koala book would be the first book. Ah, oh, that's exciting and super topical too. And graphic novels for that age group are are not that accessible at the moment. They're tricky to find. So thank you for focusing on that age group as a parent and a former librarian and a bookseller. I'm very grateful. Now we've got some questions for you in the chat. Remy, are you happy to take some questions? Yep. Great. So Adrian has asked, Adrian Beck has asked, do illustrators sometimes use Insta as a portfolio and are publishers on the lookout via Insta? Yes, I have heard of other, it, that did happen to me um, because I wasn't on social media before I got my book deal, uh, before I got an agent. <laughs> but I, I know of authors and illustra uh, of illustrators who have gone on to get uh, book deals um, because um, the editor or the publicist has seen their stuff on, um, on Instagram or on Twitter also. Yeah. Yeah, as someone who used to work in publishing, I can tell you we, we did quite frequently look at other people's Instagram pages to try and find an illustrator that was a good fit. So I'm very glad that that's that you're there now. Um, one of the other questions that has been asked, Belle has said, how do illustrators or artists go about connecting with publishers and or other authors? Um, this one, I, I might not be the best person to answer this, the one about publishers because um, uh, my my lead publisher is um, in the US. Um, uh, so I have an agent who is also in the US and then the Macmillan in the US sell the rights to Ellen and Unwin here in Australia. So I wouldn't really know much about connecting with publishers um, in Australia, but with other authors, um, social media. Yeah, so I, I, I met Adrian <laughs> first on social media. Um, so that's how before we actually met in person. Um, so and that's actually what happened with most of the authors or illustrators that I know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. It's always nice when you see a group of authors and illustrators in a green room together, and they all already know each other from Twitter or Instagram or one of the other platforms. It's that's definitely one of the benefits to social media. I think, Remy, you've been incredibly generous with your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have any questions for us? Um, yes, so I, what can I actually do as an author and illustrator to make your job easier? <laughs> like, what do you want me to post on Instagram? I, I won't say Twitter because I, I can't promise anything on Twitter. <laughs> 
Okay, we'll see if anyone answers you in the chat, but I think you do an amazing job of making our jobs easier. Again, like the process videos are so helpful. Students are fascinated by process videos, so we really appreciate those. And your website is a brilliant resource in and of itself. You've got some really great resources on there. So thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. Awesome, thank you so much for having me here. Anytime. You have a wonderful day and hopefully your weather continues to warm and we'll say goodbye to your beautiful puppy as well. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Bye. Thanks, Remy. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ty, and thank you, Remy. That was fantastic. Someone has asked if Remy is still there. I hope she is. Are you available to do an author visit online. Maybe we'll leave that one there for Remy to see and maybe she can answer that for the person in the chat if she can. Wonderful. I have a lot of books I need to go and buy. I think I need the book with the dog. <laughs> that was just gorgeous. <laughs> so thank you to both of you. Ty, you did a fantastic job of that interview and I'm so pleased that Remy could join us from Brisbane. We're going to keep moving along. I can see people talking in the chat, so that's fantastic. I would now like to welcome our next speaker, and that is Belinda Cameron. Belinda, I hope you're there. Yep. Belinda, yes, you are, good, thank you. <laughs> Belinda is a professional writer, presenter, and teacher librarian, and she is joining us to discuss her use of social media from New South Wales, where she works at McLean High School. Welcome, Belinda. Over to you. Thank you very much. Okay, I'll just go into where are we? Ah, there you are. Just bear with me. Just going to try and find this here. Okay. How's that looking? It's just loading. No, that's perfect. Thank you, Belinda. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me to um, come along today and share our school library community with you. Um, I'm from McLean High School, so basically the north coast of New South Wales, um, in the river in the uh, Clarence River area. And I just wanted to fin uh, to start today just by acknowledging the Yagel people, who are the tra uh, traditional custodians of the land on which I'm presenting from today included an image there for you today and some of our fantastic staff at McLean High School. Um, and I'd just like to pay my respects to elders past and present and also to the students that we have at, at our school that are definitely going to be emerging young leaders. Um, and I'd also like to extend um, my respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are um, here in the online presentation today. So, just a little bit of context, McLean High School has roughly 900 students um, and around 100 staff. Uh, we have one SAS staff member that's employed full time at McLean High School. Um, and yeah, I guess my focus for this presentation, I was looking at some of the write ups and, and what I decided to sort of really focus on was how do we attempt to engage uh, young people in our library space and just thinking of that term media. And I mean, we call it social media, but I actually I like to call it new media. Um, and how we look at different medias that are um, old and also evolving. So um, I love storytelling and I, I know that we all do. Um, and I think a really key component of storytelling is 
a love of literature that we can we can tap into um, our students and but also our teachers through um, fandom. And so there's just sort of a range of of images there. The um, Minecraft character is actually one of our maths teachers who turned up to a dress up day. Um, and we are a high school, so we still dress up for book week. Um, there's lots of primary school parents that sort of, you know, we get a reaction of really, you know, I thought I thought dress ups finished in in uh, primary school, but we're all over the dress ups at McLean High. Um, and Harry Potter is certainly something that connects our staff, our students, our families, you know, parents, etc. Um, and a mix of that old and the new. So this is one of the most popular shots that I've shared on our Instagram and also Facebook page. That um, couch was purchased for five dollars. It's called the kids call it Nana's couch, um, and you can see the student there laying on it, reading his his hyper magazine. And that really is that blend of the old and the new. Kids are just so funny in the things that they they connect with um, in terms of you know personal interests. And so then that question of also. How do we engage community in our library spaces? And I think it is about connections. And one of the beautiful things about social media is that it allows us to tap into community um, through you know, daily organizations and events. But it, I think what I'm learning is, um, because I've sort of been using Instagram in the school library since 2016. And I think it's as one of the speakers said before, it's about not only leading up to the, the event or the moment, but capturing it and then sharing it afterwards, you know, in an online space that is, is very important. And it does connect, particularly if I consider our Facebook and our Instagram pages, we have parents, students, the Department of Education, businesses, other schools, you know, lots of people sort of really following in on, on our journey. Um, this little guy here in the corner, that's Percy the pom-pom. He started as a piece of fluff at McLean High. And um, we have all our primary school feeder schools. So we have up to 11 primary feeder schools. So we have primary schools who then have their pom-pom so that when we have orientation days, um, we connect with kids. So I might do a post about Percy the pom-pom and what she's up to. And then a local primary school teacher will jump on and um, you know make a comment about what their pom-pom called Penny is doing. Um, for me, I'm really, I love connected learning um, and connected learning is sort of this um, model from Mimi Ito in the US and it's about thinking of social media as allowing us to connect to what we call a hierarchy. Um, my professional learning networking, um, it's, it's bizarre, but I've, I've actually ended up in a school in the US um, an hour out of New York City. Um, with another teacher librarian just through a social media contact. Um, we happened to be traveling at the time and I put out on social media that I would be there and in that area. And so she said, hey, come visit my school. So um, I love you know, that the links that social media provides for us. And that's really a key driver of what we do um, at our school. So inspiring through story and the story of Harry Potter. Um, COVID unfortunately has made doing this very difficult, but pre-COVID each year we run a Harry Potter uh, games and trivia night. And so students will design props, staff will design uh, props. I'll go and see the science department and ask for all of their, you know, creepy animals in, in jars and things like that. Um, we have 10 uh, tables with 10 guests and there's a lot of heavy um, promotion on social media um, as we attempt to build that online community um, that then turns up and supports these events. 
Um, one of the other things that's really challenging, I guess, in that information literacy space too, is that we're a regional community and we just lost our, all our print media in regional areas. So that's actually really, really challenging stuff. Um, so from a community that used to, used to get the daily examiner delivered five times a week, that's now gone to an online platform. And so even in terms of, you know, the image that I've shown here where the success of the night was previously advertised in the paper, we're actually having to be forced, you know, into how do we still connect with with families and our school communities? And so social media is now starting to fill a void um, and has become a catalyst for, for sharing online information because we are actually losing print media services. Um, it's a little character here that was designed by one of our, our staff, so a little baby mandrake. So again, this is an example of a post um, and what I'm attempting to do when I do those posts, whether it's through Instagram or Facebook, is to connect with fans that are out there, um, attract followers and also connect with, with families. Um, it just gives you some images, etc. So I've put, I've put a link to the Google album um, for the photos that are taken on the evening into the Padlet. Um, you can see some table decorations on there. So each person that arrives gets their own individual letter to um, acceptance letter to Hogwarts. There's team points for dressing up. Um, and there's a real STEM focus on the night. So we have a Padlet set up and one of the competitions is a photo challenge and they've then got to take prop, uh, take photos around props and then send the, um, the photos straight to a Padlet that sits on the screen ready for judging. So it's also been a really great way for the library to tap into not only different aspects of curriculum, but creativity and also, you know, STEM as well. Um, the drama dragon. So we borrowed the dragon from drama. We've got Hogwarts, uh, we've got um, Hagrid's motorbike and hut up there. And um, yeah, it's just a really lovely coming together community focused event. Um, but also, you know, tracking what we do and sharing it afterwards and then, um, you know, that's also a really important part of the process that shows people that may have not been able to, to get there on the night, um, you know, what actually occurred. And then just a few photos of, yeah, people sitting around the tables, our staff, um, family members, students, a bit of green screen action as well, um, jigsaw puzzles selling but so it's a great fundraiser we usually make a couple of thousand dollars um, at each each event so it's um also really great for for fundraising um and it's, again there's just some lunchtime projects there so just you know bringing in some old bottles and getting kids to paint them black and then you know popping the labels and things on them um, and we were pretty excited in 2019 we picked up um, the runner-up prize for um, our Harry Potter themed library and yeah, won some, some books and things there. So social media is also really great for sharing success. Um, and then I just thought it, I thought it might be sort of a good idea to just to share some of the tools of the trade that we use for creating. So for example, this little image here, if in doubt, go to the library. Um, that's just been created using um, Adobe Post Graphics, um, which is, you can, there's an app that you can do it on your phone or you can also do it on your computer. Um, sometimes I'll give students challenges to go on and design them for me in the library during lunch breaks. Um, videos, so making videos. 
I've written the language of links there because one of the things that's really lovely about Adobe Spark video um, is that any content you, you create, it, it um, you, you're given a shareable link. And so I think social media speaks in the language of links. And so, you know, we can then use a video, pop it onto, you know, Facebook, et cetera. Um, I use Padlet a lot again, because it's very link friendly. Um, Instagram creates great connections. And the noun project is also really great um, free use icons, um, again, that you can sort of jump on and create content. So I think that's the other thing, you know, trying to create in addition to photos and things that are happening in your library, you know, creating some slick sort of content that, um, you know, people do appreciate. Um, and I also use Facebook. It's a really important professional learning network for me. So I'm, I'm in the, you know, future focused teacher librarian uh, Facebook group. So I do feel like a globally connected educator because of that. Um, and that professional networking has just been so valuable. You know, I can jump in there and ask a question and, and have sort of in 10 minutes, 30 different answers, even if it's what's everyone doing in your library today? And then up comes 30 links of kids, you know, teenagers sort of sleeping or reading or playing chess or um, so it's a great opportunity that for me to connect with other professionals as well. Um, this is an example of some Instagram posts and then how what we do in the library sort of feeds out into other areas of the school. So this is a year seven student. Her name is Ruby and um, loves Harry Potter. Um, and so the art department as part of the evening, their students came in and took photos as part of their assessment. Um, and then, you know, went back to classrooms, worked their magic in terms of special effects. And, and I mean, you can see the results. They're just absolutely stunning. Um, great images to share in the community. And you get parents and grandparents that jump on, you know, that may live away and can sort of stay connected with, with their kids and, yeah, with their grandchildren. Um, so the flow on effect, I think, you know, because we do have a lot of other teachers and parents and it's a great way of communicating across your whole school community. Um, and I, look, I love, I love this image. This is our year, uh, year seven welcome to high school night. And I love looking at dad's face there on the right hand side, um, you know, where he's probably standing there thinking, gosh, what is, what is this Harry Potter stuff about? But he's thrown on the cape. Um, the families are together. You can see the big smiles on the girls' faces. And um, and I think that's what's really lovely, as we all know about, you know, the power and the magic of this story is that it just allows us all to connect in all sorts of different ways. And, um, yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the really beautiful things about, you know, living in a space or working in a space where stories are so essential in terms of the work that we do. Um, and this is just a list. This is again, I have put this presentation in. There's some links here, but um, there's just some images here of, of different things that we've shared on social media. So we had a, a fashion parade. It was a project based learning um, called Abraham Chicklin and the second uh, seven Bagorks, which was the students designing costumes for, for chickens and a fashion parade and having music that sort of goes with that. Um, we designed, uh, we use social media, so we put out a Padlet um, for Anzac Day and asked um, our community to share their story. So then we had community members from grandparents, um, people that are serving now, putting up photos of, you know, uh, family members. We had staff putting up stories. 
And so right when COVID hit, we were actually able to sort of still create an online community museum. So there's, when you take social media and you put it together with something like Padlet, you've just, as we've done today, we're sharing all of these resources, but you can also do it as a school. You can really create these amazing collaboration spaces. We just did one for NADOC week as well, where we asked people in our community to share their favorite locations when they're on country. Um, and we got lots of photos that came in on, on that as well. So, um, yeah, just lots of really, and, um, and there's also a story of paper cranes. There's all sorts of different stories there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's basically the work that, that, that we do at our school and how we in, involve social media. So, um, yeah, feel free to sort of get in contact, ask any questions. Um, yeah, and I'd love to hear them. Thank you, Belinda. That was fantastic. So many great ideas. There is one question in the chat from Dawn. She'd like to know if the fundraising event that you did was for the library, the school or an outside charity. Um, so the fundraising event was uh, for the library. So, yeah, it was based. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, it was fun. The fundraising was basically for for us and um, I'll just. Sorry. So yeah, the fundraising event was was basically to purchase um, yeah more items for for our our school library. And someone else has said Anita has said, love the integration with assessment. How did you start? Yeah, quite... so look, yeah, I think the thing with integrating your, I mean, and that's the thing, advocacy is such a huge part of, um, you know, teacher librarianship and being able to connect with staff. I think um, as soon as I put it out there that we, I really used the Harry Potter evening as a chance to start early connections with staff. So I thought of it as a bit of a, pro a project-based learning opportunity. Um, and as soon as the doorway opened where I sort of said, hey, science, do you think you could, um, you know, lend us some bits and pieces once because our whole library gets transformed. So it takes a day at school to set it up and we have teams of kids that come and do that. And then um, as staff become involved, um, it really then just feeds from, well, this was fun. You know, how can we do this again? Um, and I just sort of I make sure I pay attention to what's happening with students. So, for example, photography, because I have lots of displays and things around the library, the photography kids are just drawn to the library to come in and take photos of you know of different things so i do have areas set up so you know i have a green screen space i have props set up you know i have a photographer's corner um so i do have sort of um spaces set up our, our library is designed around set learning intentions so we have conversation spaces we have information literacy spaces we have reading spaces um, and we're color coded right down to even the colors of the chairs. So if the kids walk into the green area, they know that they're walking into a passive, relaxed, calming space. If they go into the purple chair area, then that's where inquiry lessons take place. And we talk about digital, you know, literacy skills and research. And um, but I think a fun event can be a really great conversation opener to. Um, get staff on board and when staff realize, oh, if I just, and it is, it is literally a science lesson, you know, when you've got kids going up and looking at the gizzards of frogs and things that are in science jars, then suddenly it's lunchtime and the teachers are standing there explaining to the kids, um, 
and and that's when you sort of you know you've you've that power of story and that magic of story that you've superseded learning and curriculum and it's just two people having a really great conversation about some props that you've just sat so it's it's kind of designing that library as the whole space is a center for inquiry thank you i think you can keep going but i'm going to have to stop you oh good thank you <laughs> find me online i'm uh, miracles of madness and i'm on facebook um twitter instagram mclean high yeah and I think you put all of those uh, you put all of those links as well, haven't you, Belinda, onto the Padlet? And the presentation is also there, I believe, as well. Your slides, so yeah. everyone will be able to follow up. Thank you so much. Very, very generous. Do take a look at the chat because everyone's saying how fantastic and how helpful, and and we'll charge along. Thank you very much, Belinda. Okay, our next speaker. Oh, speakers. Sorry, my ap apologies. I would now like to welcome two booksellers from Readings, Joseph and Nari, both first-year students at Melbourne University. They are also former teen advisory board members for Readings and passionate readers, the kind we all love, I'm sure. They are going to help us understand book talk, and I hope they're both here. Nari and Joseph, are you online? Uh, yeah, hi. <coughs> So is it all right if I share screen? I've got a PowerPoint. Fantastic. That'd be wonderful. Welcome. Let's see whether this works. Okay, can everyone see that all right? Yes, we can see that. Perfect. <laughs> okay, cool. Um so yeah, um we're just our presentation is just sort of an explanation of um the sort of book. Uh, side of uh, TikTok. So um, first we'll just start with a quick introduction to who we are. So um, I'm Joe Murray. Um, I'm a second year student at Melbourne Uni, um, sort of uh, majoring in like literature and creative writing. And I've been with readings for like um, three or four years. I can't really remember. And um, I procrastinate a lot on TikTok. Um, similar, similar to Joe, uh, I'm Nairi, by the way. I'm a first year student at Melbourne Uni. Uh, I major in French and history. I have also worked at readings for an absurdly long time now. Uh, and TikTok, yeah, is something that I spend way too much time on for somebody who should also be doing their degree. Cool. Um, so, first of all, we're going to talk about um, what TikTok is and how does it work for the uninitiated. So um, it's a social media platform that focuses on um, pretty short video content, like um, the maximum video length you can upload is three minutes, but usually it'll be from around 10 seconds to um, around uh, 40 or 50 seconds. So it's very short and it basically works in this sort of endless scrolling of new videos. Um, it's very popular among teens and young adults um, and it's sort of, um, it it was introduced in 2016, but it really gained popularity towards the end of 2019 and then exploded over lockdown. Um, it sort of um, split between some videos you upload with your own audio. So like um, they might be sort of um, comedy skits or um, sort of short informational things or kind of more of a blog sort. But the more interesting and innovative thing about TikTok are um, things where you get the audio from somewhere else, whether that be someone else's video 
or like stuff from pop culture. And um, basically what it means is that um, TikTok sort of, uh, there's a sense of like um, community and collaboration through them um, because, you know, you can have that individual expression of um, picking up a phone and recording a video, but then also um, you'll, you'll use someone else's audio. And so um, there's a whole set of um, uh, like TikToks based off the same kind of set setups and jokes and stuff like that. And um, it also comes with a lot of kind of uh, avenues for engagement, whether that's um, stitches and duets, which are ways to sort of essentially reply to other people's videos, or um, of course the classic social media thing of comments. So really TikTok's uh, innovative kind of very youth centric app that um, as, as it says on the PowerPoint, it's a mix of um, self-expression, but then also a strong sense of sort of community and um, getting inside jokes. Um, so the way, the main way in which TikTok sort of delivers you content is through this very specific algorithm. Um, and much like any other sort of social media platform, while you're on TikTok, you can follow specific content creators or you can look through all videos for a certain hashtag or like Joe was talking about a certain sound. Um, but the primary place where you'll find most of your TikToks is on what's called the For You page, which is just the main page that's brought up when you open the app. You just scroll through um, and it'll show you an endless series of TikToks, no matter how far you scroll down, that are sort of uh, via this algorithm, this mystical algorithm that TikTok uses, are suited towards you and your interests. Um, I, honest to God, have no idea how the algorithm really works. Uh, I just use the app. Um, but basically, the more you engage with certain types of content, uh, whether by liking, commenting, sharing, duetting, whatever, um, the more TikTok will show you similar content. For example, uh, I'm really obsessed with the Olympics at the moment. I've sort of liked a couple of different TikToks about the Olympics. Now, every time I open the app, I will get a whole bunch of um, TikTok Olympic content, whether that be like Olympians on TikTok or people making jokes about the Olympics, um, which really shows just how quickly the algorithm works because the Olympics only started like not even a week ago. Um, but basically uh, what happens is when you first get TikTok, you have very general content. Uh, and as you sort of use the app more, you will move from this general content to highly specific, more niche areas of TikTok. Uh, and this sort of happens as the algorithm figures you out, as you engage with more content on the app and stuff like that. Um, and that's where the idea of BookTok becomes important. Um, so BookTok is a colloquial term used on TikTok. It's a hashtag uh, and it refers to the collection of content about books on TikTok. It's a really broad uh, topic. It's a hashtag that has about 15 billion views total, um, but it involves a large amount of content about books, whether that be reviews, jokes, book, book suggestions. Uh, there's a whole raft of content under this sort of wide BookTok. Um, umbrella. So on one hand, Joe and I, you know, working at, at a bookstore, we see firsthand the impact that book, BookTok has on how uh, people, particularly teenagers, buy books. 
Um, so that'll typically be uh, books that get a lot of sort of airtime. For example, uh, the really popular queer YA novels, um, They Both Die at the End and Red, White and Royal Blue, uh, as well as the other books uh, you see on your screen now, are very difficult to keep on the shelves. Um, Joe and I both work today. We shelved uh, like nine copies of They Both Die at the End. Um, Casey McQuiston has another book that just flies off the shelves. Like, we always know if somebody has gotten a book off TikTok um, because, like, there are these just really powerhouse um, series that every teen is buying. Um, and we all, we can always be like, do you get it from BookTok? And they always go, yes. Um, so yeah, if if we if we hear a lot of people asking for it, we can assume it's come from BookTok, um, and that sort of speaks to the fact that teens on TikTok really trust creators uh, on this BookTok uh, hashtag because they're often you know fellow teenagers, peers, uh, and so these recommendations are really trusted. Um, moreover, BookTok sort of um, really serves to champion diverse and marginalised voices in a way that other um, review sources don't really do. Um, so I've personally seen a lot of TikToks which follow this format of if you liked X, then try Y. And that's often where Y will come from a more diverse author, uh, which is part of a more general movement to diversify your bookshelf. Do you want me to play um, one of those now, Nari? Yeah, we have some examples for you. Hang on, I just need to find the cursor. Rolls on pop after. And maybe um, we can show some more examples, like the um, Prior of the Orange Tree one. Yeah, we, we've got some other ones on here. Cool, so... So that that I guess um that video is also an example of how like um TikToks will use audio from other sources um to sort of tell basically tell jokes. They're like um setups for punchlines in similar ways to like a knock knock joke or a horse walks into a bar joke. And so um yeah, it's an interesting way of delivering sort of book related comedy. Um maybe the um Actually, we've only got six minutes left, so maybe we should. Um... We'll very quickly wrap up. Yeah. Um, but basically, as you can see, TikTok is playing a really huge role in getting young people excited about reading again um, by fostering this sort of really vibrant, funny, tight knit community of readers online. Um, and you don't necessarily have to participate in book talk by like actually making videos. 
um, to see that sort of content on on your for you page and start imagining what you want to read next. So it's really quite like accessible, even to people who aren't making this content. Um, and then if you do want to make that content, you have that sort of chance to to be that person for somebody else to share your favorite books with other people. Um, so no, it's it's a real community. Yes. So um, I guess the final question is is um, where do you fit in? And um, it's kind of um, unfortunate, but you don't really see much content about librarians and sort of borrowing books from libraries on BookTok. It's very much a sort of going to the local bookstore and buying it, which obviously we support because it keeps us in a job. But um, I think it is like missing out on some really important things libraries can do. So um, the first one is um, libraries on TikTok. They'd sort of have a sense of authenticity that like, more commercial, uh, like uh, branded official TikToks would have. Cause like when you see like a company on TikTok, even the readings TikTok, you get the sense that uh, you, you feel a bit cynical. You think, oh, why are they, what are, they, what are they trying to get out of me? Whereas with a library, it's very much kind of pure intentions. Um, then there's also the sense of affordable access to books. So BookTok's recommendations often skew quite obscure. Um, so they, um, uh, they're not like the main bestsellers and they're often hard to find. Like we'll have customers coming in asking for books from BookTok. They're like 10 years old and you can only get in America. And so um, libraries, I feel like, are probably more able to give teens a try of these um, sort of obscure books and they can give it a try. And if they don't like it, they can just return it to the library for the next um, TikTok user to come in and borrow it. And um, yeah, because the alternative um, for a lot of teens you see on TikTok is um, buying books from Amazon. And obviously that's not great for the kind of book culture as a whole. So it's always good to um, think about that and sort of, yeah, libraries are great in that regard. There's also the sense that librarians um, probably have quite a um, wide knowledge of um, some of the more less well-known books. And so it would be able to make really great suggestions. And finally, libraries kind of offer a platform um, for taking these online booktop communities and um, especially in this post-pandemic world, moving them into uh, offline communities and libraries with like um, group events and sort of building, um, yeah, I guess building, building a sense of community that um, isn't just online. So um, that's pretty much it for our presentation. So um, if we've, if um, anyone has any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. Thank you. That was excellent. Very useful. Very helpful. There are a couple of questions in the chat. Uh, Anita has asked if there are many librarians and adults who post. I think you've partially answered that. And that she's also asked, would they be as trusted? That's interesting. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, generally, generally with the sense of um, trust, like uh, you don't you don't see as many librarians, but you do do see sort of adults in their sort of twenties, like you'd call you'd probably call them millennials, um, posting on BookTok and making recommendations, and they are sort of um, trusted. I think it's less about age and more about kind of, I guess, internet savviness and sort of authenticity. And so if it seems like you do spend time on the app and you sort of understand how it works, um, you'll, you'll be more successful and more trusted, I feel. 
there's a strong sense that authenticity is a very important thing online. Hmm. That's really interesting. And another question from, oh, I think it was Adam. Uh, no, Brendan, beg your pardon. Brendan asked, are there many Australian books featured on BookTok? Uh, it sort of depends on what niche you fall into. Um, there are definitely, like Amplify Bookstore, um, who we had up on a slide earlier, um, do a lot of, of sort of very specific Australian work. There are a lot of uh, Australian book talkers out there who focus on um, Australian content. Uh, of course, TikTok being very popular in America, there is also a lot of American specific content as there always will be. Um, but I feel like Australian book talkers are starting to sort of find their find their footing and make their own impact on the on the uh, tag itself. Thank you. Um, look, that was really wonderful. I'm so glad you were both made the time to join us here this afternoon. We really enjoy having you and hearing from you. Um, it really makes a difference for us to actually hear these different perspectives. We really appreciate you giving up your time. So please do have a look in the chat. There's lots of people saying thank you and telling you how much they've appreciated you joining us. And I'm going to move on with present introducing the next speaker. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Time for me to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you could stop sharing your screen, Joe, that'd be great before you go. <laughs> yeah, let me just add it. Um, there we go. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's great. Thank you. Don't work too hard. Okay, our next presenter, I'd like to welcome Jane Godwin. Uh, Jane is no stranger to Slab Events. For many years, Jane was the children's publisher at Penguin Books Australia. She's written over 30 books for children across all styles and ages and is published internationally. Her work has received many commendations across all of the major awards for children's literature. There are just too many to list. I was going to start listing them, but they're just too many. <laughs> Jane has joined us here very kindly this afternoon to talk about her latest novel, When Rain Turns to Snow, but we're very happy to hear about other things too, Jane. Welcome. Welcome this afternoon. Thanks very much, Susan, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this afternoon. I've really enjoyed listening to all the other speakers, and I do actually feel like now You've all talked about these most fabulous, positive um, connections that are made using social media and how great it is. And it's like I'm representing the dark side um, because I think I'm going to talk about maybe um, not so much all the, the positive, fabulous connections, or certainly some of that, but um, uh, a little bit more about some of the dangers of social media, particularly for um, young, young readers. Um, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to share the screen, so I'll just do that now. I'm going to jump around a bit sharing my screen, so can you all see a lot of books now? Yes, yeah. perfect. Great, thanks, Susan. So for those of you who don't know me, I am Jane and I write books for young people and there's some of my books on the screen there and I've written um, picture books and chapter books and novels for young teenagers. Um, I haven't ventured into YA and I, I don't actually think I ever will. Um, so, and I also for many years, I was the publisher at Penguin Books um, in the Books for Children and Young Adults Department. Um, but the book I'm going to be talking about 
uh, today is When Rain Turns to Snow, which is this book, which um, it's on the CBC shortlist for older readers this year. Um, it was published last year. So um, it's a story of a young boy, Reed, who, oh, and I'm actually going to talk about the challenges I found in uh, exploring social media when writing for this age group, sort of 11 to 14 year olds, year five, year six, year seven, into year eight. Um, so yeah, it's a story of a young boy, Reed. He's about 13, he's on the run, um, which is a complicated reason why that you find out when you read the book. Um, and for other complicated reasons, he also has a baby with him, a little baby called Mercy. And he's run away from home and it's the middle of winter, it's cold, it's wet, it's dark. Reed doesn't really know where he's going and he's also never cared for a baby before. Enter Lissa, who's a 14-year-old girl who discovers Reed and really becomes his only ally and his protector as he struggles to find the people he's looking for. But Lissa has problems of her own. Um, she's got some friendship issues at school and something is happening online that she doesn't really understand that is to do with her older brother, Harry. Lisa knows it's only a matter of time before the police are going to catch up with Reed because he's a kid who's run away, obviously. And she doesn't know much about babies either, but she can tell that the baby who he is caring for is sick and getting sicker. So uh, without giving anything away, events come to a dramatic climax. And um, that's a little bit about the plot of When Rain Turns to Snow. So it's a coming of age story. It's about discovering who you really are, about working out where you fit in your family, and about and in your friendship group. And it's also a story about the way we use social media, about online bullying and call out culture and the terrible damage it can do. And it's also a story about Bruce Springsteen, but you have to read the book to know how Bruce Springsteen fits in. So it's really about fate, families, friendship and the perils of social media. I'm just gonna stop sharing for a minute now. Oh, hang on, no, I can't, ah, sorry. Um, oh, there we go. There we are. Stop sharing now. Um, so writing about uh, a book that has social media as part of its um, storyline when you're a 57 year old woman, like how do you do that? Um, although the emotional landscape of childhood is not so different um, for us from, um, from when we were young, um, one aspect of children's culture that has changed is social media. Sure, we can, we can be on Facebook, we can be on Instagram, we could use Snapchat or TikTok, but we didn't use it when we were 12. So the experience is vastly different. And I think for a lot of us, we, we use social media in a very different way than a lot of young people do. Um, no matter how well we understand it, the way we use it, we don't understand it as a young teenager does. And it morphs quick so quickly and changes so rapidly, doesn't it? Even my kids in their late 20s don't really get what the 13 year olds are doing on social media now, even that is like a generation. Um, and it, what everybody's doing now on social media, what kids are doing might change in, in six months. It changes so rapidly. So it's a real challenge for writers for this age group to come across as authentic and demonstrate an understanding of this part of the culture because we're not natives. Um, and I've noticed, you know, in, in past years, writers for middle readers and teens have sometimes avoided exploring social media in fiction for all the reasons I've just stated. And I've done it myself in, in my book, As Happy As Here. Luckily, the girls are all in, there's three girls in that book and they're all in hospital, they're in a hospital ward. And it is accurate that when you're, if you're a kid in hospital, they don't actually let you use Facebook or, or Instagram. So 
um, I was lucky there that they didn't have to use it. Um, a book I'm currently writing also for this age group, this sort of, you know, young teen age group, um, A Walk in the Dark is about, it's all said over an overnight hike. So luckily they're not allowed to take their phones on the hike. Um, but still, the more I observed and interacted with people, the age group I was writing for, the more I realised that I just could not avoid this anymore in my fiction, because in many ways it does dominate their culture, doesn't it? I mean, you would see it all the time being in schools. Um, and of course, bullying isn't new, but it was much more contained before the arrival of social media, I think. I'm just going to share again now. I keep going to my nephew Angus. So yeah, um, and I suppose to tell you the truth, another reason I I wrote about I included social media in this in this story was that um, I was just plain worried about it. And writers often explore aspects of life that really bother them by writing about them, and um, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously. And I was worried for the kids I knew and for the kids I didn't know, for my readers everywhere. And I had seen what being the target of social media bullying could do to an individual, and it was devastating. So in writing When Rain Turns to Snow, I observed a lot. I have my own limited use of social media. I am on Instagram, like Adrian said, I often post pictures of where I'm walking. I have lots of teen nieces and nephews. My own kids are older. And one young person I know was the target of a call out campaign. So as far as any book is a reflection of the author's experience of the world, some of that has fed into the story. And when something like this happens to somebody you know, you talk about it with other people, they open up about their experiences and their own kids' experiences with the use of social media, both good and bad. And I'm sure we all know someone who's been the target of some form of social media bullying to some extent. So I was witnessing the effect of this sort of shallow nastiness really on of a world where the internet has basically eroded the credibility of all information for young people and i was thinking about the vulnerability of young people in this context and I, I do have a great concern for the mental health of young people especially those in that liminal space between childhood and adolescence that sort of year six year seven um and i feel like you know to them to a lot of them the world must seem very chaotic and that they are living in a world that often they see the rewarding of hate and the denial of nuance, what, what sometimes feels like the end of forgiveness and a dearth of, of inspirational leaders and a lack of trust in, in every institution. And I have observed in some young kids, not all of them, a sort of a fatalistic nihilism in the, in the world. Um, and certainly, you know, statistics suggest an overwhelming increase in youth mental health crises, don't they? And, so I feel it's so important that fiction can explore these ideas for young readers in all, its, in all their complexity. Of course, social media can be used for good, as it has been recently for connection during all the various lockdowns. And as you have all shown this afternoon, all the incredibly and inspiring ways that you're using social media for connection and building communities. And I do that too. My, my latest book here, Mum and Dad and No Mind More, I found the illustrator for that book on Instagram. I, I never would have seen her if I hadn't been, you know, looking at, at illustrations on Instagram. So that's one end of the spectrum. But the other end of the spectrum is the cynicism, the narcissism, the, the dogma that is difficult enough for us as adults to make sense of. 
and I should add that, of course, it's not just kids who are the targets of social media bullying, but for young people with a really limited experience of relationships, a worldview that is commensurate to the time they've lived on the planet and still exploring their identity, it's, it's, so, it's really dangerous. And they think they're so savvy, don't they? Like um, they, uh, they, and sometimes they trick us into believing us believing that they're savvy as well, but they're not. Like I really observed this in a character that is the inspiration for, um, or a person who is part of it, a part of him is the inspiration for the character of Reed in When Rain Turns to Snow. This is my nephew, Angus. And he has this beautiful combination of this very wise maturity to him. And then suddenly he'll, he'll say or do something and he's revealed himself to be so vulnerable and so naive. And I think that's such a, a, a thing about kids that age. Um, so I think uh, another example is, is a young girl I know she, in year 11, she started in lockdown, she started her own podcast and um, during the first lockdown. And she interviewed someone, another girl, and they were talking about difficult friendships, toxic friendships and discussing this publicly on a podcast. And they were very surprised when a frenemy of one of them, a girl, they didn't name her, but it was so clear who they were talking about, knew, recognised that they were talking about her and got very upset. And I thought, supposedly they're so aware of implications of activities like this, but here are two teenage girls who appear very cool, you know, have the maturity to make a podcast and are sophisticated, but just don't have the maturity to think through what they're doing. So I, I was thinking along those lines and thinking that, you know, any mistakes they make, they, it's there for anyone to look at, edit, curate, present in any way they like to the entire world. And it doesn't even have to be a mistake that you make it can, to be the target of harassment or bullying. It can be fueled by jealousy, projection, or simply another teenager's insecurities. And humility and empathy are so rare in the online space and identities tend to be very polarised and views simplistic and rigid and, and nothing is nuanced. But life is nuanced. And in fiction, we have the opportunity to, to show that while life can, aspects of life can appear simple, they're not. We can explore characters full of contradictions and complexities just like people in real life. And where else are young people seeing real life nuance in the media that they consume? This was one of my really big aims for In Rain Turns to Snow, When Rain Turns to Snow, I wanted to explore the dangers of polarising people. Both the young people in the social media storm in this book are flawed. The situation isn't clear cut, no matter how much people want it to be. They are real people, they're not projections. And others who get involved in the whole thing in the book are also real people, bringing their own insecurities and complexities with them. And there's this, this superficial affirming of one's identity, I think, in social media and a tendency to see the other party as this projection, not, not a real person at all. So in the book, the characters ultimately come to understand that just all we have is each other. And if everyone turns on each other, then we don't have anything. And at its worst, I think that's what social media does. It takes on this lynch mob mentality and, and rids us of our, of our humanity. And I am concerned about it for, for young readers because they're just in this uncontrolled experiment, aren't they? Like 
um, they are completely the guinea pigs. Well, we're all the guinea pigs, but our kids are the most vulnerable um, in, in these, this sort of wild west of, of social media. So just to finish, and I'm just going to stop sharing. Um, in Rain Turns to Snow, like in all my books, I tried not to make things simplistic, but at least to offer a sense of hope. I didn't want to, you know, be didactic or have these sort of moral guidelines. Don't go on social media, you know, get off the internet. Like the, 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 the horse is bolted with that. And, um, but I do wanted to provide some sort of hope in the story because uh, it's so psychologically important for young people, I think, that, um, that, not that everything will end happily ever after and certainly I never write books like that and like in As Happy As Here you might think well how on earth is that book have hope at the end but but I, I hope in a way that it does. Um, I do like to reveal the characters in a way that they the reader can feel that the character is going to go on and face the world with courage and develop their own inner strength even if they have had to bear tragedy. A teacher said to me recently that they said, oh, when rain turns to snow, it's just, it's all about connection. The story's all about connection. And I thought it is, it's actually, it's about the connection of family, the connection of friends, connection through generations over time, personal connection and digital connection. When to encourage it, when it's dangerous, when it's productive, um, what it means when it's threatened and when we lose it. And I hope in When Rain Turns to Snow, I have really encouraged young readers to think a bit more about social media and its implications, both good and bad, about their own use of it. And also to be reassured that in grim times, there, can, there still can be meaningful connection. There will be people who love and support them, uh, despite all that they may be going through. So that's a little bit about how I explored social media in When Rain Turns to Snow and some of the challenges that I had to overcome in order to sort of even have the confidence to feel I could do it. So thank you everyone uh, and I hope that that was interesting for you. Now, Jane, that was beyond interesting. We are so blessed to have someone that is so talented looking with such insight and great heart at such important issues. Um, you're just wonderful. Thank you so much. It was just fantastic. Now, all you are getting is wonderful comments in the chat. There were no specific questions, but everyone's just saying, sending you lots of love, I think. So please do, do go and have a look at the chat. <laughs> and I'm going to move on to our final presenter. Thank you so much for joining us. That was fantastic. Just fantastic. Okay. So I can see all the love for Jane in the chat. <laughs> just lovely. I am going to introduce our final speaker for the afternoon. Erin um, Wamala is here. She's joining us as a teacher librarian and also as the uh, manager and owner of the Kids Bookshop. And she's going to give us 10 great books in 10 minutes to finish off our event. Erin, I know you're here. Welcome I to you. I am here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Susan. And thank you so much, everyone. What an amazing, um, so many amazing presentations there. I went away with with so much. Um, you can, of course, find the Kids Bookshop on um, social media, on Facebook and Instagram predominantly, because I, like Remy, find um, Twitter so overwhelming that I can't even bear to think about it. So I just stay right away from it. But if you want some book reviews and sneak peeks into some new stuff, um, some occasionally put up suggestions for various 
types of, um, I guess, areas that you're looking for books for, then um, check that out as well. I'd love it if you followed us, followed me there. Um, so I'm just going to digress um, for a little bit. I think we've just I, what I wanted to do um, with this one is just show you a few books that perhaps you might have missed this month and a couple that are coming out that are new next month as well. So um, I'm just going to share my screen and I'll find it. So just bear with me. And I apologize that there's a little bit of noise behind me. We are just have come to the last day of 14 days quarantine and I've just given up trying to keep my children quiet. So <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So, um, some books I wanted to show you about a couple that came out last month that I wasn't sure whether you might have um, missed perhaps perhaps the first is the hill we climb Amanda Gorman who um, wrote and delivered the inaugural poem um, last year and she is just extraordinary a young woman she's only in her very early 20s um, who wrote that beautiful beautiful poem um, that she read the inauguration um, of the US president. Um, so this is that poem plus several others that she has written um, as well. So um, a really fantastic opportunity to highlight her talent, I think, as a young poet, which is just amazing. Um, the other one is The Truth We Hold, which is um, Kamala Harris, of course. Kamala? I always forget which way it goes. Kamala Harris. Um, this is the younger readers edition of her story. And look, it is, it is very US centric, of course, um, but, I think it's a really, it's one that's really worth having. You know, my kids don't know anything about US politics, but they have heard of her. Um, and they know that she's the first woman of colour to be um, at that position of power, which I think is just extraordinary. So her reach is large. Um, so if you've got a collection of um, autobiographies and biographies, I think this is definitely one worth putting in there because she's an extraordinary woman with a really interesting story. Uh, the next one is The Wanting Monster um, by Martine Murray, who I'm sure many of you know as um, an author of lots of quite a few novels, hasn't written anything for a little while. She's actually started her own publishing company in Castlemaine um, and this is their first book that they produced um, and it's this beautiful picture book. Actually, I can show you. I've got a copy of it here. I'm not sure if you can see that. I'll show you some of the um, internals. It is a haunting fable about um, desire and here we go. Let's have a little bit of a look at the inside. Um, and greed. And it's about this monster who turns up in this little town where it just kind of quietly starts encouraging people to want things, basically, um, and more and more and more things to the point where, you know, um, someone decides that they want to have, they'd like a star of their very own. So they manage to capture one, but then everybody else wants a star as well. And what happens when all the stars in the sky are now um, on the earth? And held by people and it just kind of snowballs until the people of the town realize their mistakes um, and they drive the wanting monster out. It's really it's really quite beautiful and it'd be a great one to use with younger children um, and older children as well. You could do a lot of things um, with this one. Heroes, Rebels and Innovators. This one's only um, just come out. Some non-fiction. I, I was so happy when I saw this um, this collection. So it's seven stories of, as it says on the cover, inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from history. Um, there is really not a lot like this out there um, at all. So it's really fantastic to see it. It's got accessible double page spreads with lots of colour and lots of illustrations. Great for primary schools. Um, and, you know, definitely one to add um, to so many units and just to have in your library with your nonfiction collection for kids to browse. 
Um, this one I pulled out, um, Fred Gets Dressed, because it comes from the author of one of my, and actually my kids' absolute favourite picture books, Mr Tiger Goes Wild. If you don't know that one, get it, because it's great and it's hilarious. And of course, The Wild Robot um, as well, which was his novel. Um, but this is a gorgeous little picture book about being yourself. So it's based on his own experience um, as a child. Um, there's a beautiful little video on YouTube if you um, look it up. Um, but it's he tells a story about how as a little boy, um, he had this very wonderful and encouraging mother. And of course, he was he encouraged his curiosity. And of course, the thing he was most curious about was his mum. So one day, while everyone else was busy, he snuck into her into the bedroom um, and started exploring all her things. Um, and she came in and he was wearing her clothes and he had makeup all over his face. And she just very gently wiped it off and showed him how to put it on properly. And they spent the whole afternoon putting on makeup and dressing up. And he cherishes it as one of his most favourite memories. And so this is what this story is about. And in the, by the end, you know, dad's gotten in on the game and um, even the dog has dressed up in mum's makeup and clothes and stuff like that. So it's a really lovely one about, um, you know, kind of defying stereotypes and encouraging curiosity and um, all those things. It's really, really cute. Uh, the Summer I Robbed a Bank, this is a new one for David O'Doherty, um, the um, comedian. Um, and this is a really good one for fans of David Williams and Ross Welford. Um, so this one is about a boy um, called Rex who his parents break up and he gets sent to live with an uncle on a remote Irish island. Um, and he finds out that Uncle Derm has his harebrained idea to try and rob the local travelling bank. And he wants to rob the bank and distribute the funds to the needy on the island. Um, so they get involved in all kinds of, you know, adventures, including um, the legend about a pirate, a local pirate queen as well. Lots and lots of fun and adventure and heaps of humour, a great middle read um, to your kids in primary school. You could probably go up to about grades year seven for this one. This one's coming out in mid-August. All American Boys, some of you might know this one, but this is actually the first time it's been readily available in Australia. Um, so it's being released um, at the beginning of this, this month, I think, in um, August, um, from the author of Long Way Down, which in my um, secondary school is really, really popular. Um, actually, most of Jason Reynolds' books are really popular as well. The boys really enjoy them. Um, this one um, is really great for, the, for fans of something like The Hate You Give, follows sort of similar lines, I guess. So it's written by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kelly, writing two different characters. Um, this one follows a black student, Rashad, um, who is beaten by a white police officer. Um, and the incident divides the town. Um, Quinn is a white kid who's on Rashad's basic basketball team, and he's also a witness. He also has ties to the police officer who is virtually his stepfather. Um, and then tensions start to rise in the town. Quinn refuses to believe that his stepfather could have had anything to do with it. Other people are saying that it was police brutality, um, and it's heading towards full-on riot. Um, in this little town. So it's a really interesting one to talk about police police brutality and race relations for those older um, secondary students. So probably year eight, nine plus, which is around about where something like The Long Way Down um, sits, I think. The Upper World, this is a new sci-fi time slip thriller um, for secondary readers. So this one is coming in mid-August. There's a lot of buzz about um, this one. Um, so this one is about a kid called Esso who's um, 
accidentally caught up in a gang war and he receives an unexpected gift, um, which is access to a world where he can see glimpses of the past and the future. Um, he now has the knowledge that the road he's on will eventually lead to the deaths of the people he loves most. There's also the story of Rhea, who's a generation later, so it's, um, 15 years divide them. Um, when a man came, comes into her life claiming to know the key to time travel and asking for her help, um, and she realises that she has the chance to save the, the parents that she never got to meet. Um, so this is for middle to upper secondary, um, as I said, a bit of a sci-fi time slip thriller for those um, kids who like that kind of thing. Um, and Lost on Planet Earth, there are actually a couple of graphic novels I want to throw in here. There's some really good graphic novels coming out um, at the moment. This one again is sci-fi um, for your kind of mid to upper secondary, um, released in mid-August. This one um, is set in space in 2381. Um, and it's a thriller, it's fans for, it's follows sort of a similar story to something like The Aurora Cycle by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, without so much sass perhaps. Um, but it's about a girl who's on track to become, um, who knows exactly what she wants in terms of her life and she's about to graduate, but then as time gets closer, she realises perhaps not everything is as straightforward as she thought it was. So you've got that real kind of, um, it's really smack bang in your sci-fi. Um, genre, this one. There's a new graphic novel version of 1984, um, which you might want to, would make a good addition to any um, secondary library. I know I've got quite a lot of boys at school who love to tackle a, a classic, um, kind of because they, they feel like they should, but sometimes it's not quite accessible enough for them. Um, and then I love giving them the graphic novel versions. It's a really fantastic in for those kids who are perhaps not quite up to the novel, um, but still want to read the stories. And, and this one looks really, really good. And finally, there's a, a fictionalised story about the Bronte sisters in a graphic novel version um, as well. So you've got any um, fans of the Brontes out there who might like to read about their lives um, on the moors, um, then this one might be a good addition for them as well. Um, finally, I just wanted to highlight to you a new service that we're offering um, to literature consultants. So if you are looking for help finding books for any reason at all, um, we can do anything from, I held a, a school the other day who were looking for class texts for, you, for year 10, um, and they were quite specific in their needs. They wanted books featuring uh, neurodiverse characters or disabled characters, um, books exploring in the environment um, and climate change, or books featuring, um, you know, dystopia. Um, so I was able to put together a presentation for them. We spent um, a little over an hour actually ch chatting about the books. I gave them links to resources, teachers' notes, videos, author interviews, um, anything I could to help them know the books a bit better um, and to help them with their decision as well. We can do online or in-person within reason. So there are three of us who are available to cover primary through secondary. Um, we are all practicing teachers and librarians though. So we're a little bit limited in our time to be able to visit in person, but the earlier we can book in a time, the better and the more chance you have of us actually being able to come and see you in Metro Melbourne. But otherwise an online presentation works um, beautifully as well. We can we have much more flexibility there. There's a 20% discount on any orders that are placed as a result um, of the, the session as well. Um, and yeah, you can find more information. There's a link that I put on the Padlet so you can have a look. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me um, anytime and we can have a discussion about that. Otherwise, thank you very much. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks for the great books again. No worries. Nice to see some interesting things coming up.
Um, I'm going to wrap it up because we're over time. Thanks, everyone. I will email you about feedback and with resources from the afternoon, including all the links uh, to the recording, etc., and also to the podcast. Thanks to our wonderful guest speakers. Thank you for ev to everyone for supporting SLAV's professional learning program, and in particular, the Reading Forum series. I do hope to see you all again, either online or in person, which would be lovely. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Take care.